Well, hey, part three of Waiting on God is where we are today, our Advent series, looking at what did it look like for people to actually literally wait on God to come in the flesh. And to do that, we're looking at Luke chapter 1. That's the events right before Luke chapter 2. We're just going line by line through the the chapter of of Luke uh, chapter 1. And we're seeing really two stories primarily. If you've missed any of this series with us, we're seeing two stories. uh, The story of Mary who's about to bring Jesus, the Son of God, into the world and finds that out, even though she's a virgin, engaged, betrothed to be married. And then we're seeing the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are Mary's relatives. And they're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Mary, we think, was a teenager, maybe 14 or 15 years old, not even married yet. And Zechariah and Elizabeth other end of the spectrum. We see that they're advanced in years. They're beyond the the days of even expecting a child. And so we have these two stories. That's what Luke 1 is about. And you see them woven together, not just because they're relatives, but because they get these miraculous foretellings of birth. And if you look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are expecting John the Baptist. Uh, This is who would pave the way for Jesus's ministry on the earth. And then Mary, she's expecting the Son of God. She is going to raise God. If you missed any of this series, you can go back and listen to that. But we've seen a little bit of their story so far. Today, what we're going to see is the response from these two women, Mary and Elizabeth. And we're going to see two things primarily. We're going to see peculiar joy and passionate worship. And then we're going to do that briefly. And then we're going to follow Mary's lead, and we're going to continue to worship through song, just like she goes on to do in this passage as we just read a few minutes ago. But look at the text with me, Luke 1, 39. If you just look at this first portion with me, you see joy, right? It's full of greetings. Verse 40, look at that verse. You see Mary greets Elizabeth. Verse 41, Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary. Verse 44, the sound of the greeting is mentioned. It must have been an amazing greeting. Over and over, you see this greeting, 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 that it's a happy time right off the bat. Verse 42, there's an exclamation with a loud cry, similar to that one. It's very joyful. Three times in this portion of the passage alone, we see the word blessed. Twice, it references Elizabeth's baby leaping for joy in the womb. It's like a, a bounce house in the belly. Now, some of you moms, you know what that's like. The baby starts turning over in your stomach, and everybody's like, oh, come feel it. It's amazing. That's a happy time. Imagine if the baby was like Michael Jordan, jump, leaping for joy in your belly. You'd want to tell everybody, this is a, a joyous occasion all around. This is one big party. Imagine the family gathering you actually like going to. Hey, you know where you actually like the other people in your family, and you show up, and you haven't seen each other in a long time, and you give each other a full embrace, not a side hug, but a full embrace, and you're laughing, and you're reminiscing, and you love seeing your family. Imagine, some of you don't have that family, but just imagine that family gathering. That's what this is, right? When Mary goes to see her relative Elizabeth, there is joy, but... It's a peculiar joy. And if you really look at this, there's a lot of obstacles to this type of joy. If we know the context and the circumstances, one is just reputation, right? As Mary is expecting a child, she's not married. She's betrothed or engaged. She's a teenager, 
14 or 15 years old, from a small town. Everybody knew each other. Everybody knew everything that had happened. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Mary? The questions people would have asked, the questions people would not have asked directly. The questions people asked one another around town, like, did you see Mary? She seems like she's grown a little bit in the stomach region. I mean, she's been eating a lot. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I don't know if that's worse. Women, ladies, yeah, that may be worse, right? But, but they think maybe she's pregnant. Well, I, her and Joseph aren't married yet, are they? I mean, just think about her reputation as an obstacle to joy. Just with Joseph directly, imagine that conversation. Like when you were engaged, your wife comes to you as a husband and says, hey, you know, I'm pregnant. But it's not somebody else's. It, no, no, it's the Holy Spirit's. Imagine hearing that as an engaged man. Like, really? How convenient, huh? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, he did that to you? Oh, okay. Um, let me see. Nope, I'm out the door, right? And we know that to be true because Matthew 1.20 tells us an angel has to show up to Joseph in a dream to convince him to stay. An angel shows up and says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. The implication being there that Joseph was fearful of taking Mary as his wife. He thought about stepping out. Right? Just think about the obstacles to joy for Mary with Joseph directly and with her whole community that would have known everything. There's obstacles to joy. There's obstacles to joy of support. Remember, Mary's from a small town, not a lot of resources. She's a teenager. And have you ever thought about this? Where are her parents? We don't read about her parents at all in this passage, do we? Where are they? Now, maybe they passed away. Maybe they're just not in the picture. Maybe, though, they had abandoned her. Maybe they said, hey, you know, this, you did this. Son of God, Holy Spirit, yeah, I've heard that one before, Mary. That's not happening. And maybe they just said, hey, we're going to wash our hands of this. We're not going to have anything to do with you. We, we don't see them show up in this passage at all. We don't know. Maybe it's just that they were just trying to take care of themselves and, and trying to take care of their things. And maybe Mary comes to them and says, you know, Mom, Dad, I could use some support during this time. I mean, this is a big deal. I'm about to raise God. I don't know how to do that. Can you guys help me out a little bit? Maybe your parents were like, hey, you know what? We got a lot of things going on too. We're just trying to keep up as well. Maybe they just weren't good parents. Maybe they weren't like these parents that just stood on the stage and said, hey, we're going to commit to raise these children in the Lord, to provide for them, to care for them. We don't know, right? The Bible doesn't tell us, but we do know we see no evidence of them in this picture. Now, I'm a parent who has three kids and two girls, and if at some point in their lives, before they were married, as teenagers, if one of my little girls had a baby, in the name of Jesus, that's not going to happen, declare it right now, please God, no, but if it happened, I would be there for my daughter. My wife and I would be there for my daughter. You can hold me accountable to that today, right? We wouldn't be excited about it. Unless she came with a Holy Spirit story and we really had faith, we wouldn't be excited. Let me just tell you that right now. We wouldn't be excited, but we would be supportive. I would walk my daughter to the hospital. We would set up the nursery with them. 
we would maybe not knit blankets because that's not how we roll, but we would, we would get blankets, right? We would be there. We'd be involved, but we don't see that kind of support. Now, we don't know why, but we know it's not there. And so as, as Mary makes this trek all the way to see Elizabeth, there's no parents in the picture. There's no support. We don't even see Jesus go with Mary to see Elizabeth. And so there's obstacles to joy. So how is there so much joy? How is there so much greeting and exclamation with a loud cry and so much leaping and so much excitement in this situation with all these obstacles? Well, first, here's where they don't get this joy. I read an article in Time Magazine this week on how to be more joyful. Here's just a snippet for you. It said, how to be more joyful, be optimistic, even to the border of delusion. Interesting. It goes on. Does this make you out of touch with reality? Maybe. But being a little deluded is good for you. You see, self-deception has been associated with greater motivation and increased productivity. Is this how they had joy? Just a side note, is this how Christians have joy? Is this how at Christmas Christians have joy? Is it because we're optimistic? Is it because we're deluded and we just think faith, hope, joy, put it on, come to church, sing some songs, fa-la-la-la-la, fa-la-la-la. Some people think that about Christians. Did you know that? Do you, do you have friends that way? Some of you maybe in here are that way. Maybe you're here, you're not a Christian. You came today, but you're kind of skeptical of this thing. Do you think... Is this, is this what it's like to have joy for Christians, specifically at Christmas time? Is it a deluded, optimistic joy? Or is it real? Maybe some of you have been going to church so long. You've been through so many Advent series. You've been through so many Christmases. And, and you do kind of just, well, I guess i got to put on joy because Christmas is coming and that's what you're supposed to do. Is that where they got their joy? No. Is this where we get our joy? No. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, the same Jesus Mary is going to give birth to, the Jesus we celebrate, the coming of at Christmas, we have a rooted joy, not a deluded one. And that's the same case for Mary and Elizabeth. Did they have obstacles? Absolutely. But they also had Joy, not deluded, but rooted joy. What was it rooted in? First, I want you to see it was rooted in, in a shared joy that Mary and Elizabeth experienced this circumstance, these obstacles, these promises, this amazing event. They experienced it together, not alone. Last week, we talked about this, that there's insanity in isolation. There's joy, though, in community. That's what we see here, that there's joy in community as Mary and Elizabeth share in this together. But you need to see they have to fight for this. You notice that? Verse 39, look at what it says. Remember, Mary's pregnant. Read that with me. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. Pregnant Mary went with haste into the hill country. What does that even look like? There was no bus. There was no lift. 
right? She went with haste. How? Walking. Maybe she had a donkey. We don't see any help. Remember, there's no support. It doesn't seem like on this journey. And what we see as we look at the context is this is going from Nazareth to, to Judah. It's like going from Phoenix to Prescott on foot or on a donkey. Pregnant. Wives. Come on. That's difficult. So, so Mary has community. She has shared joy, but she has to fight for this. You, know, you don't have to travel to Prescott to have community. But you have to fight for community as well, to have joy. To, to avoid the insanity of isolation, you have to pursue community in order to experience true joy. And so just like Catch mentioned earlier, some of you, you, you sneak out the back as soon as things are over. You don't want to show up to an event because you're like, ah, oh, that might be awkward. You think community group during the week, like, we're really busy like, we have dinner time and then getting the kids in bed. Like, I don't know if we can even do all this. Mary had to travel 70 to 100 miles, pregnant, on foot or on a donkey. She had to fight for a shared joy. We have to fight for a shared joy, and we don't have near the obstacle she did. Okay? But through that, you don't have a diluted joy. You have a, a rooted joy. I remember, speaking of having children, I remember the first time we found out we were having a child. And do you know what we, we did? Right, Jaya was in the bathroom, my wife, she comes out, and she's like, it's the thing, it's the sign, plus, double line, whatever. I, I think we're pregnant. And do you know what I did? I hugged her, I lifted her up, we celebrated together. Right, imagine what it would have been like if I said, are you serious? We're pregnant? I got to go. <laughs> like, I got to take a walk by myself. Like, ponder that by yourself. I'm going to go do something else. My wife would have been very confused. Like, imagine if we had just shared it with one another. If we had just said, you know what, this is just easier just for us to talk about, and let's just hold on to this. We wouldn't have had as much joy. You know how? Because when I called my best friend, the best man in my wedding, Marshall, and told him, hey, we're having a baby. You know what he did? He screamed on the phone. He exclaimed with a shout with me and said, I'm so excited for you guys. And we shared this joy together. And the reality is, in that moment, it wasn't that hard to fight for that joy, for that shared joy. But as we continued in life, it was, right? With a kid and, and jostling work and, and school and all the different things we had going on in our lives at the time, that day one, it wasn't hard to fight for that joy, but day 100, when you're tired and you haven't brushed your teeth all day and you think, I just need some time to myself, it became harder to fight for joy. But every season in our family, we have learned, now we got three, we do the community group thing, we still put our kids to bed, we do all that stuff. It's a little chaotic, but it's worth it. We get joy in community. Right? But we have to fight for it. Are you fighting for this kind of joy? You, you can't just put it on. It's not diluted joy, it's rooted joy. And the first thing we see, is it's, it's shared but you have to fight for that. The second thing we see is it's a grateful joy. It's a joy void of comparison. I mean, just think about this scene. You have Elizabeth, who's older. 
you have Mary who's younger. There's a gap in age there. But I could see a lot of ways Mary shows up to Elizabeth's door, and she has this youthful exuberance, and she's so excited about having a baby. And I can see Elizabeth shooting that down and say, you'll learn. I mean, when you grow up and you experience a little bit more of life, I mean, you're 15, what could you know? You'll learn. It's going to be hard. Have you thought through that? How are you going to raise this child? Is Joseph on board? I mean, Elizabeth, as an older woman, has this happened to you before? Could sap her joy, but she doesn't. She's the most excited person in the room. Just from the greeting, she's excited. As an older woman, she doesn't sap her joy. She celebrates this joy with her. It's a grateful joy. As Mary, she could have played the comparison game. I mean, this is the one upper of all one uppers, amen? I mean, Elizabeth is like, hey, I'm old and I'm having a baby. And Mary's like, congratulations, I'm a a virgin I've never even had sex. I'm having a baby, and he's the son of God. In fact, your son, John the Baptist, he's going to step aside, and he's going to exalt my son. I mean, can you just imagine that comparison that, that could have taken place there? But you see none of that. You see a grateful joy, and that's how they have a rooted joy. Think about this, that whatever you hope in in life, all of us do this, especially at Christmas time, especially going into the new year. We hope for things. We hope for things like happiness, love, success, promotion, health, a child, success for our child, growth. Now imagine with me as Christians called to love our neighbor. Imagine with me at this time of the year specifically if you hoped for all those same things. The happiness, the love, the success the prosperity, the promotion, the child, the health. Imagine if you hoped for all those things with the same level of desire, of prayer, of ambition, the same level, but not just the same level, another notch up for your neighbor, for your friends, for your family members, for the people in this room. Imagine what that would look like. You need to know we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. We're called to love others as God has first loved us. That's the kind of love we should have for other people. The kind of love that says, hey, I want some things in my life, in my family's life, for my people. But man, I want some things so much more for others in my life as well. And you see that displayed in this scenario with Mary and Elizabeth. They're grateful. They're just as excited about one another as they are excited about them themselves. If we could have grateful joy, not comparison joy, we could have a rooted joy. And that's what we see Mary and Elizabeth have. The last thing we see in their rooted joy is they have an overcoming joy. Verse 41, look at that verse. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 43 It says, the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth says that. They're looking already to Jesus as Lord. They're fixing their eyes on him. Verse 45, they believe there would be fulfillment of God's promises, that Elizabeth is amazed that that Mary would trust in the promises of God to be fulfilled in and through her life. They have an overcoming joy. 
There are obstacles. This situation isn't void of obstacles, but they have the Holy Spirit. They're fixing their eyes on Jesus, and they're looking to the promises of God. It's an overcoming joy, not by themselves, but with God. Listen to this by D.A. Carson. He says this, What ought to make worship delightful isn't its novelty or aesthetic beauty, but its object. God himself is delightfully wonderful. And so with Mary and Elizabeth, God is with them. He's for them. He overshadows their troubles. And so they have joy. Because they look at their troubles and they look at their obstacles and they see them. They don't go away. They're there. It's just that God is the banner over them. That if God is with them and for them, then he can work through them, even in the midst of these obstacles. And there is joy, a rooted joy, not a diluted joy. And what we see next is the natural progression. What we see next for the life of the believer is that joy like this that's embraced It leads to worship displayed. The joy embraced, a rooted joy that you actually hold on to, that's real, it's not diluted, that when you embrace this kind of joy, it leads to worship displayed in your life. And that's what we see happen for Mary. That's our second point is passionate worship. Verse 46, look at that with me. Let's read this together. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on my humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. This is called and known as the Magnificat. It refers back to the Latin of magnifies that we see in verse 46, that Mary starts this off, this this worship off with my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so as we look at this song by Mary, this poetry, and you need to know that's what you see in Luke 1. Next week we're going to see poetry, prophetic word by Zechariah. That the reality is, is God moves us to a place of joy. As he works in our life, even in the midst of waiting, it leads to to poetry, it leads to worship, that joy embraced leads to worship displayed. And that's the way it happens for us. And we see this example of Mary doing this. And I want you to see two things primarily about her passionate worship. The first thing, it's God exalting. It's God exalting. Notice how she starts. She's magnifying the Lord. She's rejoicing in God, her Savior. Eleven times in this passage, God is mentioned. You need to know, as we sing songs in church, if you were to only hear us, like, God, I and we and me, if you were to only hear us, about us in our songs, and there are worship songs like that, then you need to come to Bradley, our worship leader. You need to come to me and be like, hey, what are we doing here? 
because we're talking a lot about us. It seems like worship is supposed to magnify God. And we see that in this worship song by Mary. Eleven times God is mentioned. So it's God exalting worship. The focus is on God. So it's not about us, but it does involve us. The second thing we see is it's provision proclaiming worship. So it's God exalting, it's provision proclaiming. What you see is God has mentioned is he has. Look at the text with me. Verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And so it's God exalting, it's God centered, but it's also provision proclaiming. They were looking at the works of God, the character of God, and Mary's proclaiming them. And that's what we do when we worship as well. When we see rooted joy in our life, that is shared, that is grateful, that is overcoming, it leads to worship like this. God exalting, provision proclaiming worship. And we have joy like that. When we embrace joy like that, it leads to worship displayed. We sang a song earlier that, that streams of mercy are never ceasing and they call for songs of loudest praise. You think about that lyric? Streams of mercy never ceasing call. They warrant. They're worthy of the loudest praise. You see, as we look at the life of Mary and this beautiful poetry, this song, this passionate worship, her story was incomplete. The streams of mercy that Mary had seen in her life would cease. She would see Jesus die on a cross. She would see Jesus grow up and, and suffer and experience persecution. She would have seen moments in her life where the mercy had ceased, where she wasn't sure what this promise would lead to. Now, you and I, we can look back at this story, we can look at the complete story, and we can see that there are mercies that never cease. But that Jesus goes on to, to die, yes, but he goes on to rise again in victory and that we know he's coming back. We see those promises in scripture. Mary didn't have all that. There were some mercies in her life that she wondered, oh, they're going to end. I mean, this is amazing, but they're going to end because she had the incomplete story. You and I have the complete story, mercies that never cease. And listen, for us today, as we look at Jesus and the joy we have in him, that calls for the loudest praise. That calls for a God-exalting, provision-proclaiming worship. And so how we're going to end today, the response for today, is to do what Mary did, to practice our passionate worship. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I don't feel that way right now. It's not rooted in you. It's rooted in God. Maybe some of you are thinking, Tim, I don't know how to sing. It's, we don't hear Mary's song. We get to read it. We see the content. And so your words are a loudest praise to God. Your heart can be a loudest praise to God. It can be God-exalting, provision-proclaiming. And so that's what we want to do is practice that right now. If you haven't met Jesus, if you don't know this kind of mercies that never cease, 
we would invite you to meet him today, to give your life to the baby Jesus, uh, to the baby that Mary would have, baby Jesus, who would go on to live a perfect life for you, die a death in your place, and rise again to give you victory so you could look at these mercies that never cease so that you could worship him. Let's practice what Mary proclaimed this morning as we respond and worship to God. Let's pray as we do that now. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for an opportunity to worship you, to have God-exalting, provision-proclaiming worship. God, all of us have had times where we experience joy, and we have to tell somebody, and we have to exclaim it and proclaim it. And God, I pray that we would do that now as we look at this rooted joy, not a diluted joy, not something we just put on, but we have guaranteed hope in Jesus. God, I pray that we would respond to that and worship to you as we sing today. God, that what you have done calls for loudest praise. What you have done calls for loudest praise during the week when we're sharing life with our neighbors, when we're growing up in you. And Father, I pray that you would give us the strength, the power that Mary had to worship you like that. Father, help us to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.